live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, and we definitely want to keep that conversation going with you. So head on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in our social media accounts. The links are right there. Check out Parlay Points, our blog section to complement the show, the T Public Story, where you can go pick up some ODPH swag. All that and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. But let's waste no more time. This show was originally supposed to kick off talking about Star Wars Visions. Mm-hmm. But man, oh man, oh man, did Netflix throw us a curveball this weekend. Yeah. And we were vaguely keeping an eye on this. That's why we really didn't deep dive into it, because we heard about this event called Netflix Tadum, Which is how you spell the sound you hear whenever you start a Netflix show. Exactly. And we heard they were going to start teasing some things going on, and it was supposed to be a global event a la DC Fandom. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this is going to be the trend for streaming services and companies moving forward a little bit. It's not a bad idea. It's not bad. Obviously, with everything going on in the world right now, it's a great way to get your content out to everybody, so there's a fair chance to see it. It's also a good way to kind of cut through the noise because let's face it there's a lot of streaming services you know these days you got disney plus hbo max uh amazon prime Mm -hmm. netflix you know lord knows there's probably hulu you know lord knows there's probably a few i'm forgetting about but each one of those like you think about just how many shows you watch on each of those services we're we're talking probably like 10 20 plus for some folks you know so in especially with like you just look at all the stuff netflix announced that like obviously i knew witcher was coming and obviously i knew you know but with everything else it's like some of those was like holy crap i forgot that was coming yeah there's a lot of speculation going on because netflix usually keeps things pretty close to the vest yeah they don't like to give out the big release dates too far in advance yeah so when we heard about this we figured okay they're gonna maybe give us a teaser trailer here and there nope they opened up the whole attache said this is what we've got coming. Drop Mike and go from there. So we are kicking off this edition of the podcast, recapping the events of Netflix to dumb. And man, oh man, oh man, Pad, I, I, I say it again because I was completely blown away by the presentation they did. Where do we begin? I think we got to start with the one I think a lot of people are anticipating, and that's Stranger Things Season 4. Yes, obviously... The Stranger Things phenomenon is taking over, and everybody's waiting to get back to Hawkins, Indiana in a hurry. Mm -hmm. They've been very tight-lipped about when the next season is coming out. But we did get a teaser trailer that really kind of threw me for a curveball. Sure. Because they teased about the Creel house. Mm -hmm. Didn't go into a lot of details. You saw a little quick backstory of what's going on, and obviously the house is haunted. Sure. And then we see, of course, our group of characters going into the haunted house because, hey, what else are you going to do? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and they're very clearly something, even before we get to where the show is taking place, you can tell something is going on at the house because the the opening of the trailer looks like it's set in, like, the 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they got the old jazz music going, which 
nice touch. Yes. Uh, but then it's a typical family, you know, mom, dad, two kids, you know, just moving into a new house. They're all excited. You know, they're they're sitting down for dinner. They're going to play outside. And then there's like some dead animal or some dead limb that's been skinned sitting on the front lawn. Yes. So very clearly something's going on here. Yeah. And it's definitely throwing everything off. And then you're kind of seeing mysterious elements in effect. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of just fast forward in time where you see one of our gang of characters throws a rock through a window mm-hmm. because they have a feeling that there's something going on here and they feel they need to investigate. It's the kind of cool vibe that you get from Stranger Things. It's such a throwback of these group of kids that are investigating the paranormal activity that's going on in their little town in Indiana. So I'll call it the Scooby-Doo effect. Hey, something weird's going on in that house? Let's go look! Yeah. And this show obviously is wildly popular, and rightfully so. I really am a big fan of this. It's always very curious to see how long they're going to keep going with this. Mm -hmm. But until they decide to stop it, I'm in for the nostalgia trip back to the 1980s with it. So I'm good with this. Uh, Like I said, the trailer didn't give a lot. We did get an announcement, though, the series will be coming out in 2022. Yeah, which I know a lot of people are like, that's so long. Listen, Netflix has got a lot coming out. They have a lot going on. So you know what? I don't mind them waiting because... With more recent events coming up in November and December, they're loaded we'll say for this year. A lot of streaming services are loaded in December. Yes, so I don't think that they want to rush anything. And obviously, Stranger Things is such a big hit that they want to drop it at the right time. And obviously, when that comes out, that's going to be dominating social media everywhere. Mm-hmm. So a lot to look forward to if you're a fan of Stranger Things. Pad, what's next on the list? Uh, I would say, for me personally, it had to be look at season two of The Witcher. Because, God yes. damn, I cannot wait. Henry Cavill reprising his role. Yeah. And where are we going from here? Yeah, no, it's going to be very interesting. You know, we got our first look at uh, the actor, uh, the person playing Vesemir. You know, I know there was a big online petition to get Mark Hamill to play, which, listen, I'd have been okay with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the person they cast, you know, I don't have their name in front of me. You know, the person they cast to play, I will say, having played the games, mm-hmm. nailed that casting spot on. Holy shit. Like, I've always said, you know, once I played the game before... Because I played the game like six months or something before the the series came out, you know, and I saw I played the game and then I saw the went and rewatched the trailer after playing a bit of it. And I went, no, they perfectly casted Geralt as as Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. You know, they've nailed the casting of Vesemir because it, it just looks awesome. It's further continuing the story from season one. You know, I don't want to spoil anything. If you haven't seen it, you really should go see it. I'm super excited about this. Of course, we're with Geralt and Siri and everything going on. We're going to see Yennefer again. And of course, Roach the horse, because Roach is the most important character. Yep. And Nevelyn we see, too. Yeah. In a little clip. Yep. So that is obviously a lot going on in the land of the Witcher. And see Henry Cavill back as Geralt. I mean, it's always a cool thing to see. Yeah. And like I say, this show has kind of grown on me a little bit. Like sure. I still have to finish it off, but I've just had so much going on. But from what I've seen, it's been that slow burn that I had with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. That it just it took me a while to get in, but once you sure. get in, you get hooked. Well, and that's the thing with season one. Season one's based off of the very first book in the series, which is essentially a set of short stories collected together. Mm-hmm. So it, it does jump around a bit, but if you kind of pay attention to the, some of the main characters and follow through it, it makes sense in the end. Yeah, so... Should be a little more connected and streamlined going forward, though. And that would make, that definitely helps. I mean, obviously, we know when anytime you're trying to introduce a new world and new characters, it takes time to do that. Mm-hmm. 
So to see them finally now hit the ground running for season two, I'm excited. Check yeah. out what they got coming. Yeah, more uh, Witcher news. We got a behind the scenes look at the prequel series, uh, Witcher Blood Origin. Oh, so okay. That, so that should be interesting to see. Uh, also got Witcher season three was announced. So hey, season two is not even out yet. And they're giving us season three. Goddamn, give it to me. Well, you know it's so popular that that makes sense. Oh yeah, it's it's an international best selling book that you know even I've read some of them. I know my brothers read all of them. They're such good books that it's it's the type of books that like you go through and you're like yeah this is made for a series or a t or a movie Mm -hmm. i I can't argue with that yeah no not absolutely not then we have the one that really stood out to me i know everybody that knows me rather well if you listen to the odph podcast you would think cowboy bebop no the one trailer that made me just drop my phone and go wow was the sandman Mm -hmm. so we got the first look at the trailer of Neil Gaiman's epic story. And I can't stress this enough. If you're not familiar with the Sandman and don't understand what the hype is about this book and show, I will break it down to you as easy as I can. Okay. In the land of mature readers' comics, the Sandman is like how casual fans look to Watchmen. Mm-hmm. It's how Batman fans look to the killing joke. Sure. The Sandman set the bar for what you could do with a mature reader's line. It was obviously what kickstarted DC Vertigo mm-hmm. and that line and the great books that came out after that. And how Neil Gaiman took the character of Morpheus and entwined his entire family of the endless and there's just epic stories going on. It was. It's a fantastic read, and it has that cult-like following, and rightfully so, because what Gaiman did with this book is he set a bar so high, few have even come near it. Mm-hmm. And just to take this to the small screen, it's been a lot of curious hype going on with this, but man, oh man, did they ever nail this trailer. Oh my god! It was like page to page with the comic. That's always good. You, you yeah, you you can't be mad about this. Tom Surridge, who is playing Morpheus, definitely captured him from what little we saw from him in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Like I said, because it was more of the introduction piece. But the casting that they have for this has been spot on. Donna Preston is playing Despair. Mason Alexander is playing Desire. Kirby Powell Baptiste is playing Death. Patton Oswalt is playing Matthew the Raven. And we have Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones playing Lucifer. Wait. Just to name a few. The Everything that they did with this presentation for the Sandman was brilliant and perfect. It was everything I was looking for. Because we've seen a little stills here and there. And what they're doing is literally it feels like I'm reading a comic on my TV. Mm-hmm. I loved everything about this. I cannot rave enough about this. And we don't we didn't get a release date, so that's the only thing that I guess you could say is a little disappointing. Sure. But I'm okay with it because if it looks and is going to be giving me those vibes from what I saw, listen, take your time with it. Sure. Because obviously Netflix, we don't do the weekly shows like everybody else. Yep. We're going to drop them all at once. Yeah. And once it hits, it's going to be like, mind-blowing on every single kind of level. And I am just super amped up for this. Like, I can't even articulate enough of how good this looked. 
and really hit all the points that I wanted it to. Because like we say, when you take a book like Killing Joke, Mm -hmm. like Watchmen, like one of those comic stories we put on pedestals as comic fans, you have to nail it. Oh, yeah. If you don't, it's going to be such a letdown to the fandom and everything that you interpret from these characters and these stories. It's hard to come back from. But what I'll say is, I was sitting there for the minute, whatever it was, of the trailer, and I go, they nailed it. They nailed it on the first shot. Mm. And where we go from here, listen, just take my money now. I'm hooked on this. I will keep ranting and raving about this unless Pat cuts the mic for me. But this was a home run. This was my A-plus trailer of the weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, it should be good just because, like you said, it's one of those seminal stories. But also I think the telling thing is is you always look at who's involved with producing. And obviously the creators, Neil Gaiman, David S. Goyer, and then Alan Heinberg are involved. But also you've got a gentleman by the name of Mike Barker uh, who doesn't have too many producing credits to his name, but does have some directing credits to his name. Uh, notably among them, he's directed 12 episodes of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed two episodes of the reboot whatever you want to call it of Fargo Uh, did what is this four episodes of the TV series for uh, Outlander directed two episodes of the British uh, television show Broadchurch Uh, so he's definitely got some work under him and then another person uh, of note just listed as a producer that I thought was pretty interesting uh, is a gentleman by the name of uh, Ian uh, I-A-I-N Smith who some some interesting known for uh, producing credits, uh, known for producing uh, Mad Max Fury, Fury Road. Okay, and then also the Fifth Element. See, I, I think that's a good touch because when you get that kind of team behind a show like this, the as a fan, I feel it's in good hands, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited. From like I said, from the little piece I saw, is going to carry me through till I actually watch the entire series, and then sure. wait till we go from there. Because I'm telling you this right now, if you have time. Start jumping into the Sandman if you haven't started reading already. Fantastic. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Okay. But then we had the other one, which, I listen, I can't shy my fandom away from this. Cowboy Bebop debuted the opening credits. Now, Pat, I know that you're not a super big Cowboy Bebop fan. No, I, I will admit I've not seen it, but even I know the goddamn intro theme. Three, two, one, let's jam. This was right along with the anime intro. So we see our group of bounty hunters, John Cho, who's playing Spike, Mustafa Shakir, who's playing Jet, and Daniela Pineda, who's playing Faye Valentine. We see glimpses of them in this trailer, and this was just right along with the anime intro. Could not have been better. And for a show like Bebop, which is my favorite anime, I'm super excited to see how this is going to play out. But from what little I've seen thus far, I'm happy with. So Netflix is doing a lot of win-wins for this. Yeah. So I like I said, this was my weekend for trailers. Sandman was one, but I definitely was excited about Cowboy Bebop, and I just can't wait to see where they go from here. Yeah, I'm looking through some of the uh, the cast and crew. Uh, the two folks who are directing the uh, episodes, you've got Alex Garcia Lopez directing five episodes. Uh, he is got he's got some interesting uh, directing credits to his name uh, for the little four things uh, mentioned under known for. Daredevil in 2018. Let's go. Witcher in 2019. Okay. 
The Punisher in 2019. Let's go. Uh, the man has done some things. Yeah. It also, so yeah, he's directing five episodes of that. He did two episodes of, from season one of The Witcher. Uh, did an episode, chapter 15, uh, from The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, did an episode uh, from The Punisher, two from Daredevil, two from Cloak and Dagger. Did another one, did an episode from Luke Cage. Did an episode from Fear the Walking Dead in 2017. Uh, Utopia, if you've seen that, he directed three episodes of that. So uh, he's got some interesting stuff behind him. And then the other gentleman directing the other five episodes uh, is a gentleman by the name of Michael Cattleman, uh, who for his, obviously he's got Cowboy Bebop listed, but he was also a director for Primeval, Life on Mars. He was a producer. And then The Last Ship, which is a show I vaguely remember from watching uh, television and seeing stuff for. So they they got some interesting folks working on this. Yeah, they definitely do. And this is another show that they're taking very delicate hands to. They've really taken. Oh, you have to. Yeah, well, exactly, because Bebop is so popular. It, it it's in that vein of like popular animes and like timeless classics. It's in that vein of like a Watchmen or a Sandman that like it's in a lot of people's top ten, top three. Yeah, and it, rightfully so. The original anime is spot on, perfect in my opinion. Great ending too. I'm not spoiling anything. That's why I don't even want to address some of the still photos we saw mm-hmm. come out from this. It is just one heck of a story they tell from point A to point B. I was hooked from the beginning. The soundtrack is phenomenal, too. So there's a lot of win-win about this, and I will tell you what. I know what I'm doing November 19th. I'll be plopped in front of my TV watching this entirely going through the weekend. One setting? I will probably try hammer in one sitting if All I right. can. If I can. You know, right. unless, Hard to do these days. Yeah, exactly. You know, late, I don't want to guarantee it, but I'll say by the weekend, oh, yeah, All I'll right. be done with All it. All right. Uh, I'd say next up we got to talk about the trailer they dropped for the zombie-less prequel to Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Yeah, this looked really good. I mean, for the prequel, I was impressed with. Prequels are hard to do, as we know. Yes, they are. But, you know, this one kept me pretty entertained. And like I say, from this whole, I don't want to say Snyderverse, but, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is. This definitely had me intrigued and definitely kept my attention, which yeah. which I originally, when I first heard about it, I was like, I don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't. Yeah, no, I was kind of in the same boat, but once I saw the little teaser, I was like, all right, you got me in for this. Yeah, so we'll have to kind of wait and see how this all shapes up. Yeah. And then next up, we had something from League of Legends? Yeah, so League of Legends, for those of you who don't know, is a very, 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 very popular uh, video game, uh, PC game. Uh, and we've got an uh, animated series called Arcane uh, mm-hmm. coming out in November. Uh, so, yeah, they, they gave us a little bit of a teaser trailer. It looked, it looked interesting. I will admit I've not played the game, but I know some folks who do, and they were, like, jumping over the moon at how good it looks. I will say, having not played the game, because it's a style of game that's really not my in my wheelhouse, not one I'm real uh, known for playing. Uh, it did look The anime did look good, though. Yeah, it definitely looked good. I mean, it had a very unique art style to it, and I was really intrigued by what I saw. Like I said, I'm not the biggest League of Legends person, so this is very, very new territory for me, but I'm definitely going to give it a watch when it comes out. So definitely excited. And this is one cool thing when you do events like to Dumb. You get shown new projects that if you're not a fan of, you were going to get and get that one impression that you can either hit or miss. Oh, yeah. So this one definitely was a hit for me. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a sequel series, I guess you could say. Continuation. Uh, History Channel had a very successful series uh, on its uh, airwaves for six seasons, Vikings. One that's always been on my list. I've just never gotten around to watching it. I need to watch it now, though, uh, because it's getting a sequel series uh, titled Vikings Valhalla. And it is coming out in 2022. Vikings was no joke on history. That's what I heard. Like I saw trailers and, and ads for it all the time. Just it was it was like lost for me. 
I saw an ad for Lost in literally a like old ad in a magazine from a PlayStation magazine I used to get way back in the day when it was getting ready to air. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll have to watch this. And then I just missed a premiere. This was before DVR and this was before streaming. So I was like, well, shit, I missed it. I can't really get, get in on this. Vikings was kind of the same thing where it was like, oh, I, I this looks interesting. I might have to check it out. And then History Channel at the time really didn't have a streaming thing where I could go look at it. Mm. And I didn't have DVR at the time. So I was like, well, shit, I missed it. Yeah, it's definitely a very, very realistic take. That's what I've heard. On, yeah, I mean, it's it, obviously History Channel took their time with it and really followed along with the events. They're known for more than just alien shows. Who, I know. Who it's, knew? It was crazy. But that show definitely was in your face, more hardcore than Game of Thrones, in my opinion. That's so, what I've heard. So it's definitely going to be really something to check out when they're doing this pre- the follow-up here with Valhalla. Yeah. Like I say, I'm not sure where I'm, we're going with this. Like, I did like what I saw with the trailer, but I'm just like, I don't know. Well, listen, I'm a sucker for period piece TV series. You know, I, I really love, uh, obviously, The Witcher. Game of Thrones was was good for a couple of seasons, and then it fell off at the end. You know, but The Last Kingdom, I'm a big fan of. I watched Turn Washington Spies on Netflix, which was a really good series. I'm going through The Crown with my girlfriend. I, I love a good period piece. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be trying to check that one out. Let's say you're, I also know you're going to be busy in December as well because uh, there's a little something coming out on December 31st. Cobra Kai is back. Oh, my God. My my good, bad love affair with this show is not even funny. I think the absolute world of this show. I know our friends over at 8122 Productions is having this show locked and loaded on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. The story of Johnny and Danny fighting in the Valley with everything going on there. Like, it's mm-hmm. trying to put it into words. Like, if you have not seen the original Karate Kid movies, you need to watch them and just really embrace them for what they are. And then now that they've updated them, this is just so over-the-top good, bad. It's a fantastic watch. Yeah, it's one of those shows that started off on YouTube Red, of all places, which I don't even think exists anymore. No, I think they, they folded that. You know, but it was one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, figured it would do well, and then it didn't. You know, but then Netflix picked up the rights to it and it just took off like a rocket ship. Well, it's just one of those shows that when you see it, you have to catch that certain audience for. Sure. And it is so cheesy nostalgia. You're either going to love it or you're going to be like, why did they bring it back? Mm -hmm. And when William Zabka reprised his role as Johnny Lawrence and just completely stayed in his character from the 80s. Yeah. And just ran with it. And he's so good. It just, it captures it. Like, because you sit there and you're just like, how the hell is he still doing what he's doing here? And then obviously getting Ralph Macchio come back as Danny LaRussa. Yeah. This was just perfect nostalgia hitting at the right time because it's so over the top. It's so crazy to think that a karate tournament from the 1980s is still haunting these two gentlemen and affecting the valley that they live in. Yeah. And now they have the next generation of karate kids mm-hmm. under their wing where they're now taking on the ultimate evil in John Kreese, played by Martin Cove, who's fantastic in this yeah. as well. And just now they're deep diving into the karate kid universe. That's why I say it throws me off to even talk about it. Cause I'm listening to the words coming out of my mouth. And it's like Danny and Johnny are fighting for the fate of the Valley. We're mm-hmm. going back to the karate tournament. Yeah. But it works. Yeah. Everything about the show works. So I am definitely excited to check this out on New Year's Eve. Yeah. I got some more stuff. Just real quick mentions. They gave us a clip for season two of Bridgerton, which I know is real popular with some folks in currently 
the number one most watched show in Netflix history, although probably not for long. <laughs> yeah, no, that'll go away soon. No, that'll go away soon. There's a, and what we mean is there's a little show came out called Squid Game, which is an experience in and of itself. I don't want to even get into trying to get into in to explain that. I keep hearing about that. I got to check that out. Yeah, I, I, well, I saw a trailer for it. It is fucking wild, to say the least. I got to watch it. It's, it's wild. But uh, no, there was an article today because uh, the CEO of Netflix on Monday, uh, Ted Sarandos, said, uh, quote, there's a show on Netflix right now that is the number one in the world, like everywhere in the world. It's called Squid Game. Squid Game will definitely be our biggest non-English language show in the world, for sure. Uh, he said there's, uh, there's a very good chance it's going to be our biggest show ever, close quote. So it would be unseating Bridgerton, which is mind-blowing. Yeah, it's a wild statement. Yeah, but no, you, some, you got some more goodness, uh, as a couple movie uh, movie trailers as, as we go through some of the list. Yeah, we definitely had some of that. I mean, obviously Red Notice, The Rock, <laughs> Gail Godot, Ryan Reynolds Project. That is, the three of them just have such a wonderful chemistry. Oh yeah, it works on every single level. So that one, when that drops, is going to be a must-watch. Yeah. The Don't Look Up. They yeah, say so it's got Leo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, and Meryl Streep. That looks real good. That looks absolutely crazy. I I didn't think that was going to look as good as it did. No. But sure enough, here we are. Yeah. Extraction 2, the fact that we have a sequel coming for this movie. Fucking give it to me. (laughs) Chris Hemsworth is playing John Wick on steroids, and it is exactly what you expect from from this franchise. Turn your brain off and just watch the chaos. Yeah. You have to. You absolutely have to. There's no rhyme or reason for it, but listen, here we are. I tell you what, man, they hit with so many interesting trailers oh my God. of stuff coming out. I don't even want to get into Tiger King. I, 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 just the fact we have a season two coming. I should be, I shouldn't be surprised, but I kind of am. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat with you. I'm just like, I, I, I don't. I don't get it, but okay, I'm going to be watching. It listen, it's it's a product of a very interesting set of circumstances. That were it not for those circumstances, I don't think it. Namely, everyone being stuck at home and with nothing to do but watch shows. I I don't think it would have been as popular as it was. I think it was still would have been very popular, just not risen to the level it has. Yeah, I mean, there was so much going on for this event. Netflix hit it out of the park. Yeah, I'd say so. I really think that this surprised. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. I know it surprised me because I remember when I first heard about it, I thought it was going to be just a little quick blurb here and there. I didn't think sure. it was going to be as big as it was, but they unloaded everything they had. They didn't even debut anything about Umbrella Academy. I mean, we do know they that's a, coming. They had a Q&A, yeah, which I know within the last month or so they just finished filming. Yes. So we do know that that is coming out very, very soon. Mm-hmm. I figured we might have got a teaser trailer of some sort. I know they did the Q&A, but you know what? Yeah. That was smart that they didn't go completely all in. I thought they were. I was like, That was the only thing if I want to be picky about. Sure. I was hoping I did see some. I think that just means that we won't see it because I would have I would have figured if it was coming out in June or July next year, we probably would have seen something. But that leads me to believe if all they did was a Q and A, it's probably not coming out till late next year. I mean, the rumor was November, so mm-hmm. that's but that's one thing we're just have to keep our eyes out for. Yeah, there is so much going on that they have trailers for. It is mind blowing that Netflix is. I don't want to say they're forgotten a lot, mm-hmm. but you see the Disney Plus is coming out with content and content and content. Amazon Prime is reloading, and they got big shows coming too. Yeah, you almost forget that Netflix is still there. And they've just quietly been building up content. Mm-hmm. And now for the next, what, 18 months? At least. Look how much is coming out. Yeah. And like, that's just stuff they've announced. That's not even counting stuff that they're like, hey, surprise. Yeah. This is going to be something to really 
applaud at, and I fully see them doing this in, uh, as a yearly thing. Tadum really hit the mark. And we say they got the blueprint, I think, a little bit from DC Fandom. I think that that, Maybe. that is going to be one of those streaming conventions mm-hmm. that we'll be talking about for years to come because I think that they're following that blueprint and made it work. And now you're going to see a lot of copycats do it, which is great. But there's nothing like the real thing about going into like a Hall H or a main oh, stage absolutely. and hearing that crowd and getting that vibe. So I don't think this will be the start of ending in-person conventions. No. But for the time being. It'll just work for some of those services, like you mentioned, the Amazon Primes, the Netflixes, the Hulus. Like, they'll still do some stuff in person, but by and large, when they just want to do a trailer dump, they'll do one of these. Absolutely, and it's going to be a big, big win for it. Final thoughts on Netflix. Ta-dum. Uh, a lot of good content. Super excited to get the Witcher stuff. I know, and especially see Vesemir for the first time because I know amongst the the Witcher fan community that was because it's it's Geralt's you know mentor you know teacher that was the one that a lot of people, including myself, were interested to see him. But gotta say they nailed the fuck out of that casting. Yeah, I agree. For me, obviously, Sandman was number one. They handled that perfectly. Even the panel for panel stuff they showed with the page, Mm -hmm. pages of the comics. Like, it was seriously so on point. I am super amped up for that show. And Cowboy Bebop definitely did its part, too, that for coming out so soon, we haven't seen a lot of it. But if you get the intro right and that's the tip of the iceberg, listen, I'm here for it. So I got to be very, very happy with what I saw coming from Netflix. And we gave you our takes, but now we want to hear yours. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What was your takeaways from Netflix? Ta-dum. Did you see the trailers? Which ones were your favorites? And let's have that conversation hyping up what's coming out on Netflix in the months to come. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it is time to recap the latest episode of What If. Holy goddamn shit. Yes, if you have not been following the MCU's animation universe of taking stories that you've seen on the big screen and really flipping them with a change of a sentence, change of a word, and seeing how the story goes in a completely different direction, you are really missing out. Mm-hmm. Marvel's animation on this has been on point, and everything that they've done, taking those small stories and really making them into something bigger, has been, for the most part, a big hit. Yeah. I would say. Jeffrey Wright, who plays Watu the Watcher, has been the narrator and really taken us on the deep dive into the MCU. And we've really seen a lot of different episodes with a lot of different looks. I th- we've had the insanity of what if <laughs> zombies, zombies yeah. taking the Marvel zombies approach. We had last week's episode where Thor was an only child, and it was met with a lot of fun, but with a very interesting cliffhanger. I'll say, well, last week's up until the cliffhanger was like every pledge week at every college ever. Yeah, it was just meant to be a little fun because we've had so many serious episodes like what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark and what if the world lost its mightiest heroes. Yeah. We've had a lot of different 
change of pace stories throughout here, which I think has been a great balance. And if you've ever read the comic from Marvel, this is how they do it when they have that series published. Mm-hmm. Not every issue is going to be continuous. You're going to have changes where it's going to be a funny episode or a real serious one. It just depends on what the writers and artists are going to make on that team or make on that book, rather. And oh, yeah. when the creative team really gets clicking, they really do a great job. However, though, with this latest episode, What If Ultron Won? Christ Almighty. We took a big curveball from what we had originally interpreted for this show. Yeah. Now, we are going to give you the spoiler warning. And if you're new to the ODPH, this is how we do it. We give you a countdown where we tell you if you don't want to be spoiled, pause this podcast right now, catch up on the show, and then jump back in. Because after the countdown is done, we go into full spoiler talk and we give you fair warning. So that all being said, in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think? This was the best episode they've done yet because we all remember last week where it was Party Thor, Bro Thor. You know, and then you get to the end and, and Watcher says, and everyone lived happily ever after until uh, Vision Ultron, whatever you want to call him, came through a portal and you just heard Jeffrey Wright as a Watcher go, oh no. And I'm like, that's a hell of a cliffhanger, you know, figuring the next episode they go to something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And then the poster came out a couple days ago and I went, oh fuck, they're going there. You know, which was Vision in the armor like we saw him at the end of the last episode with all six Infinity Stones. And I went, oh, this is going to get fucking wild. And it did, and I loved every minute of it. Yeah, this was definitely a surprise to see that this story apparently is still going. Uh huh. And that's the biggest takeaway I had was from the Thor episode where you saw Vigultron, mm-hmm. you know, the amalgam of Vision and Ultron put together with all six Infinity Stones coming through a portal. Yeah. We figured, okay, well, it's going to be a quick runoff, and that's how they sure. end the, the Thor story. But then when the promotional art, like you touched upon, came out for this episode, it was like, wait a sec, we're continuing this? Yeah, and I'd, and I'd heard somebody when I was out in public you know, a couple of days ago before the episode dropped, they're like, oh, yeah, the episodes are starting to connect. And I'm like, no, they're not. Well, having no idea, like I'm, I'm deliberately avoiding spoilers about what's coming next. And I'm like, no, they're not. Like they're standalone. Like they're not really connecting one to the next. Maybe season two, if they do a season two, they might continue some of these stories. And then the poster dropped, and I'm like, fuck, I was wrong. Yeah, because we jump in to seeing what if Ultron won, Mm -hmm. and this is where everything gets really thrown upside down because, obviously, this takes place in the events of Avengers Age of Ultron, Mm -hmm. but they threw a big curveball. Pad, you want to break that down? Yeah, so the thing I liked about this episode, and please, hashtag ODPHpod if I'm wrong, I think this is the first time they've outright explicitly said where the change is. Yes. Because we've seen in in the start of the episode, there's been the little, you know, Time Bureau sentence typed and then one little thing gets changed. So unless you pause the episode, you never see it. This, from what I can remember, is the first instance where we've deliberately seen and seen on screen where the change occurs. Because the Watcher says, in your universe... Tony, you know, went to create Vision and, and Ultron tried to take the arc or the carriage or whatever the hell the thing was called. And, and but the Avengers stopped him and saved the carriage and th- thus Vision was born. But in this universe, they didn't. And Vision or Ultron got a hold of Vision's body and, and put his his essence, his data, whatever you want to call it, into that body. And he got his organic body. Yeah, he got his organic body and really did a number on humanity because he leashed every single nuclear weapon on the planet. Good and, Lord. And wiped out everybody. It was nuclear Armageddon. Uh-huh. It was absolutely insane because you do see 
in this montage at the beginning, yeah. Black Widow and Hawkeye are in the air trying to get to the satellite to stop this. Mm-hmm. The rest of the Avengers are getting decimated. Yeah. And we're talking completely wiped out. You see Iron Man is trying to make reason because he's already defeated, and Ultron is just not hearing any the of Ultron's it. Ultron's like, fuck your couch. Yes. And then wipes everybody out. Yeah. And then I got to say, I laughed at this moment, and I will explain why. Okay. We do see Thanos come to Earth. Yeah, I, I giggled at this, too. And you just see Ultron look at him. He's like, ooh, that looks interesting. And cut him in half with the Mind Stone. Because at this point, Thanos has shown up at Avengers Tower, of all places. Yes. Wearing the Infinity Gauntlet with five of the six stones and Vision or uh, Ultron not being an idiot, sees that and goes, like you said, huh, that's interesting, and just literally slices him in half. Which I just sit there and go... Why didn't Vision just do this at the beginning of Infinity War when he ran into Thanos? Because he's got a heart and soul, proverbially speaking. At this time, no. You just got to go aim for the head like Thor should have done. Yeah. Thor's responsible for everything. He, he realized this. No, and, no, 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 no. Don't put this on Thor. It's Star-Lord. Star-Lord's goddamn fault. You know, it's a team effort. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll Thanks. give you that. I'll give you that. Thanks, Avengers. Justice League doesn't do this. Thanks, Quill. Yeah. But at this point, though, you see Ultron now completely take power and just make... That armor was dope as fuck. Yeah, he has this amazing armor, is making drones of himself. I'll say, I think, who's the, who's the one company that we see at Con every year that does, like, the really fancy, really expensive statues or, like, figures? Is it Sideshow? I believe so. Sideshow, if you're listening, do a figure of that Ultron. That would look fucking amazing. Oh, I I, I guarantee you they're going to start working on something. Somebody will make that Vision Ultron armor, and it's going to be fantastic. But as you see in this episode, once he starts making his army of clones, Mm -hmm. they start spreading out to all points of the universe. Yeah. You see Asgard get wiped out like nothing. Yeah. You see Ego, the living planet, get killed Instantly, saying he's freaking out with the like O face. Yeah, you see the Guardians of the Galaxy trying to fight this losing battle, and they get wiped well, off. Well, and what is it? He also shows. He also shows up at the Collector, I think. Yep. He, he yeah, wipe, it was on their planet. Yeah, the he, Collector's planet. He wipes out the Collector. Like at one point, uh, and we got to mention too in this episode. Some point along the way, Clinton Barton lost an arm. Yeah, they never explained that. Yikes! Yeah, they don't explain that. But then, yeah, he shows up to one of the planets, and he, then he starts fighting uh, Carol Danvers because. <laughs> That should work. Yeah, they start fighting on the Nova uh, planet. Yep. And they go right to the center of the planet, and Carol Danvers is obviously holding her own. But yeah. Ultron it just lures her in there. Like yeah. that was a, it was such a uh, interesting trap he laid out mm-hmm. that I'm just like, man, they you really thought about everything here. And I just was completely blown away of how quickly he just wiped out all life in the universe. Yeah. And then we go back to Earth, and we see that Hawkeye and Black Widow are trying to find a way to beat Ultron. Mm-hmm. And this gets very interesting, not because of what they're doing, because we do see that quick action sequence, a la the Avengers 1 movie. We do see yep. Hawkeye do the Hawkeye moves, <laughs> even though he's missing an arm and has a robotic one, which they never touched upon, but you obviously you know something has happened. You see that Black Widow is kind of kidding around with him, too, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And it really did capture that Avengers 1-2 yeah. feel yeah. of how Natasha was written. But the big takeaway I had from here is you see Uatu get very nervous. Mm-hmm. And you see him trying to influence the, uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow 
into finding the key to defeating Ultron. Well, because at this point, hasn't Ultron sensed uh, the Watcher? Wasn't there, wasn't there a scene, like a couple scenes earlier, where Ultron did something and and Watcher was commentating to us, the viewer, and then, and then Ultron just goes, what was that? Who said that? And then he turns and looks at the camera and Watcher goes, oh, no. Yeah, he does something like that. I think it's right after Thanos got killed. Yeah. And it's just such a weird moment that they, they leave it alone for a little bit, but Watu knows something's up. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to help them, but he, he does, can't intervene. He can't intervene, asterisk, because if you've ever read the comics, <laughs> he likes to intervene here and there when, when it's convenient. There's reasons. I digress. We do see Natasha pick up the file that does have the information of where another cyborg artificial intelligence is mm-hmm. and that turns out to be who pad it's another copy of arnim zola yes so there you come up with the plan if we can somehow upload zola into ultron they have a chance of winning but they got to put their their faith in the hands of a former hydra agent yes enemy and my enemy is my friend i guess i don't know it's weird bedfellows but obviously when you're in nuclear armageddon fallout you kind of are working with who you got. True. I'll say case in point, uh, Zack Snyder cut Batman and Joker. Yep. We live in a society, folks. This is true. I digress. So as this plan is going on, Watu is very happy because he's seeing that there's possible hope. However, there never was much hope. There never was because all of a sudden Ultron comes right through the portal. Well, he starts punching the portal and he's like, oh, that should hold. Yeah. And then it doesn't. Yes. And he's now in... The place, I don't know if it's the blue area of the moon. I I don't know. Where where Watu is watching, I would assume. I I kind of assumed it was like a pocket universe. You know, it's his own place where it's like out of time, but he can still look at all the other universes. You know, it it was like a mirror dimension looking thing. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting place of what they they do there. So they never really touch upon it. Like I said, I thought it might have been the blue area. Yeah, they, they never said. Yes, which if you read the comics, that's where the Watcher hangs out. But... Either way, Ultron is there and realizes, wait, you have so many multiverses. Yeah, because at this point, uh, Ultron has taken out basically all life in the universe. Of course, to our knowledge, the only life left is uh, Clint and Natasha, but everything else is gone. So he's now a, a, you know intelligence you know program without any directive to yeah, do. Yeah. so then he gets into the watchers universe and he starts looking and he starts seeing all of the parallel universes and he goes oh all of a sudden i have purpose again i am burdened with glorious purpose yes and you see now the watcher has to get involved yep watu has to fight back which yep. this really demonstrates of how powerful of an individual he is that was cool yeah, you, you, which you don't see too often. I mean, they have touched upon this in the comics like we touched upon, but it's very few and far between. Sure. Because he does hold this vow, he cannot get involved. But he does have a very soft spot for Earth-616, and he will help if there is a way to do it and be damned with the consequences. Mm-hmm. We've seen this throughout time. That's why he, I want to say he's more of a hero per se, if you sure. want to kind of categorize him. Sure. But, but he's also done some things in the past, too, but... Is what it is. He watches. Mm-hmm. He watches everything. So as they have this big battle and it's a great fight back and forth, we do see that Natasha is escaping with Armenzola, which they do track down. They've uploaded him now into a dead weight Ultron clone. Yeah, because they have to carry him because they Hawkeye shot his knees out. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, goes, why did you do this? Listen, we're, we're 
contingency plans. Yes. So now they're trying to escape, even though they have an army of Ultrons after them. Which, which I mean, given they shot out his legs, I get given the circumstances, but man, I feel like that was a bad idea. That was a bad idea. But listen, at this point, I think they're more panicky about what's happening sure. because sure. they literally have one shot. You capture it or you let it slip. Yeah. And during this point, Natasha is running with him, but Clinton knows the gravity of the situation he's in. And he has just really been so broken down from what everything is going on that mm-hmm. he knows that there's only one option to do, and he has to sacrifice himself to buy them some time, which he does with an explosion, arrows that he's still having yeah. to. Yeah. So he does sacrifice himself to let Black Widow with a dead weight Zola escape. Let's say, wasn't there also a uh, recreation from Endgame where, like, it just reversed where she's on the the solid service holding him yes. up in the air? So that, that was a interesting callback. Yeah, they decided to do that kind of little Easter egg for everybody, too. Yeah. Great pickup on that way, too, by the way, Pat. But we do see that they finally get the chance to upload into Ultron. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work. Because he's not there. Yeah, the, the, the upload doesn't work. His, he, I forget the exact phrasing, but Arnhem goes, basically says, you know, wherever he is, it's not anywhere in the known universe. Yes. So somewhere in the landscape of time and space, not being able to be tracked down, Ultron is fighting the Watcher. And he's whooping his ass. Yeah, well, I mean. Watcher's holding his own. He's but holding still, his own, but. But he's still getting his ass whooped. But you got to remember, too, you have the superpowered abilities of a normal Ultron mixed in with the Vision plus the Infinity Stones. Yeah. This is some Steiner math on a global level, or galactic level, I should say. But they start having this epic battle. They're fighting through all the multiverses. Which is just wild. I mean, they end up in a, a New York where uh, it's Times Square where the video is showing Steve Rogers being inaugurated as president. Yeah, it's so absolutely wild. But it fits into that scenario because you, you see them going through all the different worlds. You're seeing just their shattered time fragments all over the place. Yeah, and I got to say, I love the line from uh, Ultron when they first land in this version of New York where he goes, is you know the power of the multiverse at your fingertips? Isn't this more fun? And he goes, and also than just watching, and also a little less creepy on your part. Yes, it's a definite cool line. The writing on this was on point the entire episode. Yeah, and then we see the Watcher finally make one last move to break free because at this point it looks like he has in pro wrestling the Iron Claw. Yeah, on Watcher's forehead so, and he's yeah. squeezing him to death. Yeah, because he used I believe the Red Infinity Stone. I'm blanking on the name. Uh, brought him up to him and then started squeezing on his forehead like he was going to pop him like a freaking can of vegetables in his Popeye. Yes, but the Watcher does escape and then ducks out. Yep. So he's on the run. Yep. And then Ultron is going back to his plan that he was originally going to, but the Watcher makes one last desperate move. Mm-hmm. Pad, what does he do? So he goes off to some other portion of his universe where Ultron doesn't know where he is, and he, and he got some help. Uh, and out of the shadows comes a gentleman with a cloak and the collar turned up to the nines. Strange Supreme. He's pulled him out of his, you know, evil dimension where it's collapsed in on itself. And he's reluctant to ask for help and he doesn't want to ask for help. But Strange Supreme being the evil bastard that he is goes, no, I'll help you. But I want to hear you say it first. Yes. And he and he goes, fine. I'm asking for your help. It's freaking intense way to end, and uh-huh. this is going to be continued. We're about to break the multiverse again, aren't we? Well, you know, they're doing this very interesting in comparison to how they do this in the comics. Mm-hmm. And that's the one big takeaway I got from this episode, 
is they really are connecting everything. Mm-hmm. And seeing Strange Supreme play a factor in here, and we're seeing all this tampering with the multiverse, and how does this mirror the live-action multiverse? Yeah. See, that's where I'm not saying they're connected there, but the fact you have all these sub-stories going on, I'm almost starting to wonder if the events of What If will roll into the live-action universe. I'm starting to think so, because at the outset of the show, I didn't think they would. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I thought they'd take it as like a Star Wars approach, Star Wars and the Legends, you know, the old canon approach, where it's there, it is what it is, and they can pick and choose and bring stuff in as they see fit. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised that with this, that Chris, we thought Wanda was going to break the multiverse, and maybe she put a crack in it. We thought Loki broke the multiverse, and... Maybe he put another crack in it. Mm-hmm. We thought for sure No uh, no Way Home was going to crack the multiverse and, and really mess with things, and maybe it is. But it looks like this is going to blow it wide open. And I would not be surprised at all that if we see certain things from this show, like a Strange Supreme, like uh, uh, this version of Ultron, you know, come into the movie universe. I'd be all for it. I think it's a very, very sleeper way to do it, and I'm not putting it past Marvel. I'll say obviously there's there's some stuff they that won't be rolled. Oh, into absolutely. The universe. You know, obviously, you know the, the T'Challa Star Lord thing won't. You know, lost its mightiest heroes won't. But like I said, you could see Strange Supreme going through their zombies. Obviously not. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Killmonger rescued Tony Stark. Probably not. You know, Thor's the only child. Like so, there's a couple of things in here that like I could see him bringing in. Right. But just to see how they're going to possibly roll this into the multiverse storyline they're going to be doing in the live action movie. Mm-hmm. I think this is very interesting storytelling by Marvel. Oh, it's because brilliant. Because nobody would see this coming if that's what it's going to be. If they keep itself contained to the animation, I'm mm-hmm. fine with that too. Sure. Because like, I think this is really helping this show. Sure. Because for a lot of mainstream fans that only tune in for the movies, you don't really have a good grasp about what if. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a nice way to connect it and say, no, this is all connected in our little universe, but our universe is connected to a bigger one. I know that sounds super confusing, but you really got to just take it in point that with the events that have happened now in WandaVision and Loki, sure, they're now having an effect with this universe as well for what if. Yep. And now we're going to get that next ver- version in No, in, uh, no Way Home. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Yeah. So it's all leading into something. But for this show that was considered to be, I don't want to say throwaway because I don't think that's the right wording. Yeah, no. But, well, for, no. but for being a non-important show sure. to the grand scheme of things. You didn't think it, people didn't think, including ourselves, didn't think it'd have the impact it's having on the timeline. Yeah, it really is. And yeah. now I'm leaning towards saying that this show is going to really fold into Spider-Man No Way Home. Could be. Like, what if, possibly... Can you, can you imagine 12 Infinity Stones in the universe? Good God. Oh, I could see that, too. Or even I'll throw you a bigger curveball. Or No, no, they're gone. No, they're gone. In the No, sorry, I'm, I'm correct myself. They're, in the MCU, they're gone because when Thanos did the second snap, you know, when he was on his planet, they destroyed themselves because they went to his planet to get the stones. Yeah, to, and they were to gone. Fix, they were gone. So they had to go back. That's why they had to go back in time. So if they bring in this version of Ultron into the main universe, that's how you reintroduce the Infinity Stones at some point. I don't think they'll do it anytime soon. I don't think they'll do it anytime soon, but, but I, I even got another wilder take for you. Sure. You know how he keeps saying Mephisto is going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home? At this point, Mephisto is going to be at my wedding. Right. What if it's Strange Supreme Ooh. that's the one dealing with Peter Parker? Oh, that could be. 
I'm throwing that, that out there. That could be. Like, I'm still sticking with Mephisto because sure. I think of the comics and the storyline. Sure, sure. But what if it's Strange Supreme? It could be Mephisto brought Strange Supreme. Maybe. I mean, I used him as, a, as an outlet. Like, I'm, hey, I'm going to bring you here and take you over here. I'm throwing that idea out there. The what if, what if leads into Spider-Man No Way Home. Could be. And it's the wrong Doctor Strange. Could be. That's working with Peter Parker because how that Doctor Strange is written on the cartoon mm-hmm. is how he's written on that movie. Yeah, and you do have Benedict Cumberbatch's involvement. Could be. Oh, I know it's fantasy booking here, folks, but there's some smoke to that fire if you're really looking at the flame. Could be. Just saying. But all that being said, Pad, final thoughts on what if Ultron won? Like I said, greatest episode they've done thus far, and I legitimately cannot wait for the next episode to see where the hell this goes because I have no idea. The fact they've connected everything together, I think, is a big win, and I think that it really took fans of the comic, like myself, for a curve, mm-hmm. and I did not see this coming. I am very happy they did this to connect it and to really explain what Uatu is capable of, I think can only help connect this show to even the bigger scheme of the MCU. Uh But to see how they're tying in this story and if this is going where I'm going to just say as a leap guess, connecting to the bigger picture of the MCU, Marvel will have pulled over one on everybody Uh because nobody saw this coming with this show if it does happen. If they stay the course they're doing... We're still getting an entertaining story that you now have to go back and watch all the previous episodes to really get the big picture of. Either way, this was a hell of an episode. It delivered on a lot of fronts from taking one simple little factor in the MCU, flipping it on its ear, and running with it. Now to see how this story wraps up is going to be anybody's guess, but I'll tell you what, I'm tuned in for it. We gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts? On What If Ultron 1, Episode 8 of Season 1 of Disney Plus's Marvel's What If. We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our new podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Join us as we delve deep into comic lore to uncover the history behind a wide variety of comic book characters. Each episode will feature one hero, villain, team, or ensemble. And break down what makes these heroes super. We'll give you recommendations on what storylines to read. Explain how characters were created. Discuss adaptations, costumes, and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. Yeah, and spoiler alert, these conversations can get pretty nerdy. This is Comic Book Keepers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And there was a show that was dropped last week. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of flew under some people's radars. It was on ours, but man, we had so much to talk about. We just had to postpone it and really deep dive into it. And now is the time to really say what we think about the latest addition to the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Star Wars Visions. Yeah. So, Pat, why don't you break down this show for us? So, this show is an anthology show uh, set in the Star Wars universe loosely, though, uh, that it's taken from uh, six different, uh, five or six different animation studios over in Japan, where they were basically approached by the folks at Lucasfilm and said, hey, we want to do stories with you, and, you know, why don't we give you the opportunity to tell those stories in the Star Wars universe? You, you're not beholden to any of the lore or any of the canon or anything like, you know, we're not going to sit here and say, oh, if you're going to use that character, make sure you do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Just whatever story you want to tell, 
you can do that. And some of the animation studios, excuse me, it was seven. Uh, the animation studios were Kamikaze uh, Duga, Studio Colorido, Gino Studio, Trigger, Kinema Citrus, and pr Production IG, and then Science Saru. Uh, and they were each telling their own uh, story. You had nine different episodes. And, and the thing with this show, and I said it last week, you know, when I gave a little blurb about it, I'll say for the show, if you are been turned off for any reason, you know, whatever, with the Star Wars universe, give this show a shot. It's not canon, so you don't have to sit there and figure out when this takes place or what part of the movies it takes place. Like, no, it's all its own thing. The producer has said it's not canon. So this is just a fun show that, like, the longest episode, I think, is like 17 or 19 minutes. So yeah, you, you, it's you somewhere can, around there. You can crack these out in, like, a day or two, you know, if you got a free day off. They're a lot of fun, you know, and we're going to go through some of the episodes and talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. All right, so why don't you kick us off? So, yeah, the first episode was titled The Duel. Uh, this one was set in an alternate history, you know, it was after the set in feudal Japan. It was kind of like an old anime style classic, uh, old anime animation style, where you had a lone wanderer known as Ronin was the only thing we knew, you know, it was... Uh, kind of watching over a town it appeared and then he got into a you know the uh, the empire some stormtroopers came in you know they were led by a self-declared lord of the sith who had a uh traditional japanese umbrella mm -hmm. that also had lightsabers spinning out of it which was really fucking cool i gotta say that yeah this was probably my favorite episode mm -hmm. it just had such an old school anime vibe to it yeah and this was done in just such a very unique style too. Mm -hmm. Like it was black and white, yeah. except for the colors when they needed to pop out there for the sabers and, yep. and the battle. It just it had a lot of uniqueness to yeah. it that I really loved about it because I was sitting there going, okay, I really don't know what to expect from this. This was probably like the origins of Star Wars at its core because one of the biggest origins and influences for George Lucas and, and Star Wars was the films by the Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa. Mm. That this was this was probably like the closest to if Akira Kurosawa was still alive and given the opportunity to do a Star Wars show, movie, whatever it was, this is probably what it would look like. Yeah, if, if given the opportunity. And you know what I'm here for because oh, I, yeah. I I thought this one was probably the one of the if not the strongest episode. Yeah, yeah no, this this was real good. You had the second episode uh, which was <laughs> Tatooine Rhapsody, which this one was like I said, this one was so much fun. Yeah, I, I just loved it. Absolutely. Like the whole concept of this is you had a Jedi, or no, rather, I'm sorry, a Padawan. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Uh, who somehow got lost in the Battle of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, so he winds up running into a character known as Guy. Mm -hmm. And Guy says, you know what? I'll get you out of this war, and but I need you to... I need you to be in my band. I need you to be my band. Which, <laughs> I mean, you have to understand the concept of this is just they're having some fun with this. Yeah. And it was such a change of pace from the duel that when you see this pop-punk band get on stage and they start playing, well, it turns out that Guy is not exactly uh, scot-free no. of some debts that he owes. Nope. And he winds up uh, getting tracked down by the king himself, 
baby Boba Fett because I mean he did not look like the traditional Boba Fett. No, well, no, it was it was still like it was you know normal age Boba Fett as we see him in the movies. Just it was the animation style that made him look small. But it was Boba Fett, I believe. IG eighty eight was there, and I think Dengar as well. There was a there was a couple of bounty hunters that I recognize the faces of. That that was really cool. The song is fought in the in the episode is catchy as fucking hell. Oh, it is. Please, Disney, like release that song onto streaming platforms so that I can listen to it because I I dug the hell out of that song. You know, but Boba tracks him down. You know, come to find out, Gee is a relative of Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, which is crazy. Which was just wild. This episode was so good. Yeah, and then and obviously to get out of uh, Jabba's debt. Um, because originally Jabba was going to kill him because yeah. that's what Jabba does. Yeah. Uh, they say, well, you know, give us a chance to have at least one last song. And when they do this, the song goes, I you can't say viral. It goes galactic. It goes galactic. And I got to say, I dug where the concert took place. What was the old pod pod uh, race arena from episode one? I dug, I was like, oh, hey, we're at the pod race arena again. That's cool. Yeah. It was just such a cool throwback. And obviously they wind up, getting out of the debt but then they kind of have to sign to Jabba's record label because Well no they they convince Jabba to let him go you know hey you let us go you can sponsor us and you get all the royalties Yeah which like they appeal to Jabba's base instinct which is money Yeah which I mean like I say they make him sign to Jabba's record label like it was just kind of like it was just a fun episode yeah. and like I said it just the the kids were were so young that's why it really threw me off with Boba just Yeah you know, they all looked like they were very young. It was like a teen-esque uh, story going yeah, on. No, but, yeah, it was just the anime. It was just the animation style. But the animation style, which I had no problem with. I was, sure. I loved this episode. Yeah, no, that one was good. Uh, the next one you had, which was like, take all logic and throw it out the goddamn window. Yeah. Right? This one was the twins. Uh, this one was basically about after the Empire was defeated. You know, he had these two twins who were born of, of the dark side and from the dark side and for the dark side. You know, that they were they were leading the remnants of the Galactic Empire or something. We had two Star Destroyers that were linked together. with The Gemini-class Star Destroyers, which was just two Star Destroyers basically linked together, which was wild to see. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, then you had the one, uh, the brother turned to the good side. It turns out he's actually good. They go off and fight each other in space with no helmets on because reasons. Reasons. It was wild. It was absolutely crazy. And, yeah, you had to throw logic out the window. Uh-huh. I don't want to say this was Fast and Furious-esque. Kind of. But it was up there. Kind of. It was. It was It was like a Dragon Ball Z style. Or, or you know, it was, yeah, it was like a Dragon Ball Z style anime where it's just like, hey, stuff's going to happen. You just got to you just gotta sit there and accept it. Yeah, just yeah, let it go because, as we see, the family is fighting. The brother is trying to save the sister because he, he knows the future. Yeah. And if she unleashes this weapon... It's going to kill her, but she does not care. Yeah. And then they wind up, you know, fighting each other in space and just doing Star Wars things, which, mm-hmm. I mean, like I say, there's a lot going on with this episode that you just have to really take a step back and go, okay, mm-hmm. just let it happen. Yeah. And then, I mean, ultimately he winds up escaping, but vowing to finish the job and be the saving force in his sister's life be, and bring her to the, to the force. I mean, it's, it's typical star Wars stuff, but you know what? It works. Yeah. Uh, next one was the vill- titled the village bride. This one, this one was all right. This one was kind of like middle of the road. Yeah. Me. Same here. Like there wasn't anything too flashy about it. No. And it was just, it was okay. Like I, I, I was not fully in, engulfed in the story. So mm-hmm. it was just, you know, it, it was passable. I will say. Yeah. I don't want to say it was bad, but it was just something that, 
okay, it didn't really hook me yeah. as much as some of the other stories did. Yeah, uh, next one was probably my favorite one of the entire series, The Ninth Jedi. Yo. Good Lord, this one was insanity. Uh, essentially, the story with this one was the Jedi had basically become extinct, including uh, lightsabers. You know, nobody knew how to make a lightsaber, but there was this one guy, you know, in the universe, you know, who knew how to make lightsabers. So anyone who was force sensitive and was able to hide away from the Sith and, and the bad guys went to this person to get their lightsaber built. You know, so a, a uh, uh, what is it? A distress call went out saying, "Hey, if you're you're force sensitive, come to this planet. We're we're gonna rise up and we're gonna fight the Sith and we're gonna beat the Sith." So you get this group of people together on this planet, you know, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna do this." And the light after getting almost getting attacked by uh, the Empire, the da- the the Sabersmith has a daughter. You know, the Sabersmith dies. Mm-hmm. His daughter escapes with the lightsaber. She goes to this moon and says, hey, here are your lightsabers. The kick with this, though, is that unlike in the Star Wars universe where, you know, the color is kind of determined on, on personal preference, but in terms of making it red, it, there's a little bit of lore behind it, you know, like, oh, bleeding and, and darkness and evil. But with this, it's all kind of just like, oh, hey, yeah, if you want to make it whatever color you want, you just got to think it. You know, yeah. if you want to change the length, it's your own personal preference, which I which I really thought was cool. So, you know, she uh, she the daughter hands off the lightsabers to all of the, the members, you know, that didn't hold the one that was brought, you know, and then the other ones get brought and they all ignite them. And they're all red. Yes. Which was the biggest plot twist I'd ever seen in quite some time. And I'm like, oh, shit. It was brilliant because the daughter of the... Uh, the Sabersmith, yeah. Sabersmith. I keep forgetting they're called Sabersmiths. Yeah. She goes there for the distress. And then just to see her reaction that she's like, oh, my God, I've walked into a complete trap. And the, the Republic is there waiting. And the, or the Sis, rather. Yeah. And then she does get bailed out because, ironically, somebody has been there keeping an eye on the situation. Mm-hmm. And that is who, Pat? Uh, that is the guy who sent out the distress beacon. You know, the, he was like, oh, hey, I'll meet you there. Don't worry about it. And everyone's kind of like, where the hell is he? You know, we're waiting on this guy. He shows up, though. Yes. And that is a character by the name of Juro. Mm-hmm. And he goes and bails everybody out. And once they win, we now have a new Jedi Order being formed. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an interesting play because it appears that they either had somebody on an inside job or somebody changed their mind after the battle. I think somebody changed their mind, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of interest in play that we have because this little order that's getting built to go fight the Sith yep. is really starting from scratch, and it's kind of like a new beginning, a new hope, if you will. Yeah. Because now Juro has a plan that we're going to go to this planet that's uh, taken over by the Sith, and we're going to free it. Yeah. Because reasons. Yeah. But I, you know what? It works. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, the next episode was one titled T.O.B. 1. Uh, this was essentially Astro Boy and Star Wars. Yeah, this one. I was... Uh, I understand the the point of it, and I wasn't mad about it, but it, this one was kind of like, all right. I, I rolled my... I got to admit, I listen, I've got nothing against Astro Boy. I, it's a fine show. If you enjoy it, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's 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 not my cup of tea. I tried watching it when I was younger. Not my cup of tea. I saw. I watched the episode. The episode was okay. But I'm like, okay, we're just trying to get Astro Boy into Star Wars. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of my thing too. I was the like, story was good. The story was good, and I was okay with that. You know, uh, Jedi surviving the purge, trying to you know bring life back to a desert planet. And they, now they didn't say Tatooine. It was yeah, just, it, was it, just was a planet. it was alluded. Yeah, it was alluded. But and they were trying to bring life back to a planet, and you know he dies. So the the droid. Wants to big the droid's biggest dream is to become a Jedi. You know, 
he starts taking on the bad guys and he's got a lightsaber. Like, the episode was okay, but I just couldn't get over him. Like, okay, we're just putting Astro Boy in Star Wars. Okay. Yeah, it, this one really didn't do anything for me. Like I say, it, it was passable. I wasn't that entrenched with it. it mm-hmm. This kind of was like the village bride with me. Like, yeah. it was like, okay, this is fun. Yeah. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, I, it just didn't connect. Like, for me, it just wasn't my cup of Java. Yeah. Uh, episode seven was the elder. This one was really cool. You know, this one. Yeah, was, I thought this one was dope. This one, they never said it, but they kind of alluded to it. This one was set after the death of Darth Bane. And if you know that story, you know where it was going. Uh, you have a Jedi and his Padawan are sent to uh, Outer Rim. They, they, uh, when the Jedi senses a disturbance in the force, they, they land on the planet and there's an elder on the mountaintop. Turns out this elder is not so friendly. No. Uh, the Sith are not as dead as they would like to think. And, well, he's a Sith. Yes. Uh, the, the Padawan stupidly decides to fight the Sith and gets cut. In, well, appears to be cut in half. Yeah, he does appear. Like, I thought he was. I'm I like, did, too. I'm like, yo, we're going places. Well, it's like you want a piece of the elder who is the Sith. It's like, well, you were. this is showing your idiotcy of age, mm-hmm. if I may use that sure. very long term. It's just, you know, the errors of youth are striking here. And this is where, like, okay, well, I thought it would have made a lot more sense to have actually killed him, but, yeah. you know, they didn't. Oh, yeah. So they, they kill the elder. You know, he dies. You know, they leave the village. You know, they leave the village. And there is, there is an important lesson where the Jedi tells his Padawan, you know, oh, being a Jedi means being kind-hearted so we don't end up like the elder. Yeah, it's just I I know they want to do that kind of like knowing is half the battle vibe, but yeah. I, I just for me I was like meh. Yeah, like it, like I said, I really did like this episode. I thought it was dope, but it yeah. was but I I really certain stuff just didn't hit. I just had the GI Joe vibe after it. Yeah, like you know you messed up, yeah. and messing up is okay as long as you learn from it. GI yeah. Joe. Yeah. So like I say, it was a dope episode. Like I said, I liked everything up to it, but then. The ending just kind of fell a little flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you had episode eight, which was titled Lop and Ocho. Uh, so this one takes place during the reign of the Empire, and you've got a rabbit, essentially, uh, named Lop. She escapes the, uh, whoever's trying to capture her on a planet and discovers, and, and she's discovered by the planet's clan leader and his daughter, who's like, hey, listen, she doesn't look so bad. She, look at her. How can she be bad? Yeah, it was kind of like this, uh, you know, interesting story of how you have a runaway that they decide to adopt and raises one of their own family members. And then once they kind of fast forward a little bit, you see that the empire has kind of extended their fingerprint over this planet. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that the father is trying to basically ward them off, but yeah. he's getting met with a lot of resistance, especially by his biological daughter Lope. Mm-hmm. And then once you see that, that is going on. This is where the conflict really comes in between Lop and Ocho. I'm sorry, I said Lop earlier. Uh, but you see this where the conflict bails out because Ocho is being so faithful to the family that took her in mm-hmm. that once the reveal happens that Lop is working for the Empire, yeah. that really causes that friction. And you do see that battle going on. And we do see about how when the fight goes down, it doesn't go exactly the way it's planned. Yeah, And we do see that there is a little resolve that Lop tries making amends and yeah. is – I don't want to say she's feeling guilty about what's going on with Ocho, but it's kind of like anytime when you have an argument with your family. It's, yeah. You know, you want to make things right, and it's just a weird situation where Lop is so convinced about working with the Empire that she's thinking that she can convert Ocho to get on her side. Mm-hmm. And is it going to happen? I don't think so, especially with Ocho being now wounded yeah. and on the run – 
but it's still made for a good episode. There was a lot of great drama and great yeah. action in this one. So I was very happy with this one. Yeah, no, this one was good. Uh, and then the final episode was Akakiri. Uh, this one to me was probably the weakest of the bunch, and that was yeah, I agree. That was through no fault of you know the the, the visuals were really cool and, and everything. But I just think it just wasn't long enough. It was like only it was 10, short. It was like 10, 11 minutes or something. So it was, about, I think, the shortest of the bunch. But it, I, and I think that definitely hurt it a little bit for me. I agree too. Like I was like, this is already over. Like yeah, that no, was my, that was my instant reaction. I was like, wait, this just went by way too quick. Yeah. Before I was really invested in it. Yeah. And it's just like in comparison to the other eight episodes, I don't want to say this was bad because I don't think it was bad. Yeah. But it was just not up to snuff. In comparison yeah, to some it, it of the was, other ones, it was we good, but it was hard for me to enjoy it just because, like you said, started watching the episode and then the credits start rolling ten minutes later, and I'm like, wait, that was it? Yeah, like it just it, for the story it was, it just didn't impact. Like you know, if you really do storytelling well, mm-hmm. it'll hit you right in the beginning, and then it hooks you. So no matter when it ends, like you get the resolve at the end, and then yeah. you're like, okay, wow, like what did I see? I don't think they gave it enough time to breathe. No. And I think that that really struggled because you really have to let stories grow and, and breathe and really entice the readers or viewers to really hit that impact. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't think they gave it enough time. No. And that's, it's something that I think that had they gave them maybe another five, 10 minutes, like you talked about Pat. Yeah. I think that would have helped tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. But, but this one was kind of like, I don't want to say forgettable, but it kind of was, kind of was, kind of was, but I'll tell you what this series though, Pat overall, you are the Star Wars guru of the ODPH. Yeah. What is your takeaways from this? It's a really good series. It's a lot of fun. It's it's something that you can just throw on, not take too seriously, and, and have a good time watching it. I would highly recommend it for anyone who's, you know, not even a huge fan of Star Wars. If you've enjoyed the movies, you know, whether it's the original trilogy, sequel trilogy, prequel trilogy, or even just the TV shows, definitely give this a watch. Like I said, it's only nine episodes. There's a lot of fun with this. I hope they continue to do more and they do a second season, you know, because I mm-hmm. think there's definitely an avenue for this. And I definitely think you can have some fun with this because, like I said, there's some stuff coming out of this that I'm like, all right, this would be real interesting, interesting to see. Ninth Jedi, I want to see them explore further, like that ven- that venue and that path and that storyline. Yeah. that was wild. I'd like to see them explore a few more of these. I, I don't need a direct sequel, but for what this was, you saw a different interpretation of the Star Wars universe that we've never seen. Mm-hmm. I'm always here for that. I think that if you fall into the traditional formula for storytelling. Sure. You get bored very easily. Yeah. But that's why I say if you can do something different and give a fresh take, a fresh look at a a property like Star Wars and really run with it and take it in some wild directions, it's going to be making for some great stories. Mm -hmm. And like I said, some of these stories just didn't connect with me, but they might be your favorites, and that's completely fine. Yeah. I say for me, I'm more of like the traditional stories that you saw in the beginning episode of The Duel. Like that one really stuck with me. Well, so yeah, the, what is it? The the twins really stuck out to me just because it reminded me so much of like a Dragon Ball Z style story, where it's just like, all right, this is just utterly insane and would have no possible way of happening. And I dug that. Yeah. So I mean, there was something a little bit for everybody on this one. Even the Tatooine Rhapsody one. That was awesome. That was fun. Like you, you, when you can do some storytelling like that and really broaden the horizons and really give a fresh take on something. I think it's a win-win. I mean, that's sort of like why I love Batman Ninja. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it takes Batman completely out of his element, makes it anime, and really ran with it in a completely wild direction. Like, it, it works. So to see Star Wars take a shot with this, I think it was a great idea. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd like to see him do some more with this. Uh, so we haven't heard anything about a season two. but Correct. I would not mind if we saw season two. But for right now, we do have it on H- or I was going to say HBO Max because there's so much there. Mm-hmm. It's on Disney+. Plus. 
And that's where you should go check it out. And definitely give us your takes on this after you watch it. So OD Page Society, that's your homework assignment this week. Let us know what you thought of Star Wars Visions. You can hit us up on Twitter at OD Parlay Hour. Let's have that conversation, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple of things to talk about. The first of which, we got a release date for the upcoming series, The Book of Boba Fett. Oh, let's go. It is real. Uh, releasing on December 29th, 2021. Uh, that was re- released alongside a poster of uh, our favorite Bandal- Mandalorian uh, on Jabba the Hutt's palace. You know, it's the shot we saw from, appears to be the shot we saw from the end credits of Mandalorian Season 2 finale. Uh, so definitely going to be something to check out there. Interestingly enough, it's also the same day the Season 1 finale of Hawkeye airs. So, boy, are we going to be busy that day. Yeah, it's going to be a long day that day, but I'm here for it. Yep. Uh, then we also, uh, switching with streaming services, there's apparently a three-part DC Comics documentary coming to HBO Max. Ooh. Yeah, so this reading from an article on IGN.com. Uh, says, uh, quote, a DC Comics documentary series is coming to HBO Max from the director of the Pixar story. The news was announced on Wednesday in a press release from Warner Media. The show will be developed by DC Comics and promises a complete history of the company. The documentary will be so big it will be spread over three parts and stream exclusively on HBO Max. Uh, Leslie Iwerks and Mark uh, Catalina will co-direct the series with CWDC boss Greg Berlanti as an executive producer. Uh, so that's definitely going to be something to check out. You know, I got a three-part documentary about DC Comics spanning their entire 80-year history. Definitely going to be some interesting stories told from that, I'm sure. That is going to be wild. Mm-hmm. I am very, very interested to see what they're going to be doing for that one. Yeah. It would definitely be something to check out if you're a comics fan, because a lot of good stories I'm sure are going to come out of Oh, it. yeah. With, it, with their backlog in history, pfft, yeah. I, I'm i trying to even think if there's like one that would jump out at me like a story I've always wanted to know. Yeah. But I'm pretty open-minded about whatever they're going to be doing for that. Yeah, and then uh, coming out on, ironically enough, my birthday, uh, there's an interesting video game bundle coming out that if you're a 90s video game fan, you're definitely going to be amped up for. Uh, so coming out... Uh, Coming out on November 9th for just $29.99 for the Nintendo Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and PC is, I don't know if they've officially given this a name yet, but it is a collection of some of the Disney console video games, such as Aladdin, uh, you know, Lion King, and then you've also got uh, The Jungle Book Hmm. uh, coming along as well. So uh, reading from an article on IGN, it says, put together by publisher Nighthawk Interactive and development studio Digital Eclipse, this bundle will include everything from 2019's Disney Classic Games, which is Aladdin and The Lion King, plus the Super Nintendo version of Aladdin and both console and handheld versions of The Jungle Book. Uh, so a list, uh, here's a list of everything that was originally part of this bundle. Disney's Aladdin, the Sega Genesis version. Uh, Disney's Aladdin, the Game Boy version. Disney's Aladdin Final Cut, which includes additional content. Uh, the Disney's Aladdin Trade Show Demo. The Lion King, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, and Game Boy version. Uh, so then this game will also include, comes with an interactive museum, a rewind function, and expanded soundtrack. Hmm. Uh, every physical version comes with a retro style manual for one of the three games, which gotta say, I miss, I got miss manuals and video games these days. Uh, but these are some of the hardest games I've ever played. The Lion King video game is no fucking joke. Like 
I, I just can't wait to be king level is among the hardest in video game history. No fucking joke. So definitely something to check out if you're a Disney fan or a, a 90s video game fan like myself. Yeah, that's definitely a, a sweet deal for that. Yeah, no, not bad at all. Uh, and then switching over to my comic picks this week, you've got Action Comics issue 1035, uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue number 74. Listen, Nick Spencer is still writing. It's still amazing. Uh, hmm. Description of this reads, it's Amazing Spider-Man number 875, the legacy ton numbering there. Uh, and the whole ASM team is coming together to bring you a massive issue that is the culmination of three years of Amazing Spider-Man. It's all led to this hunted sins, rising last remains King's ransom chameleon conspiracy, sinister war, and so much more all led to this climax and conclusion to Nick Spencer's landmark run on the best comic book in the world. What will happen when Peter, when Peter and MJ Mysterio, J Jonah Jameson, Norman Osborn, Aunt May and kindred find out here folks. It's 82 pages. It's a lot of goodness. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're coming near the end of the run and then the transition to Ben Riley. Mm-hmm. So there I know are, you're amped up. Uh, yeah, you know my thing about Ben Riley. Mm-hmm. I, I know I, I hear a lot of this on comics Twitter, but listen, he's he's not my favorite Spider-Man. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not excited for it. Yep. Will I read it? Sure. Yeah. But am I excited? No. Yep. Uh, also coming out, you've got Detective Comics, issue 1043. you got Fear State kicking off with uh, Batman, so that should be something. Uh, Justice League, issue number 68. Uh, Star Wars issue number 17. Uh, then you've also got Superman seven, uh, 1978 issue number two. Uh, so this is a continuation of the original Superman movie, uh, which reads, uh, after a battle with a rampaging robot, Superman enlists an unlikely ally to crack the code behind who sent it. He needs an intelligent technological genius, and that can only mean one person. Lex Luthor. Mm. So that should definitely be something to check out. Uh, and then last, but certainly not least, you've got Thor issue number 17, still written by Donny Cates, so it's going to be that shit fucking insane. Uh, the description of this one reads, The epic finale of Revelations. Thor, ruler of Asgard, can now focus on just that, ruling. But with, cow- with power comes truth, and Thor will learn that being king isn't so simple. When havoc on Midgard begins, Mjolnir seems to have vanished under the Avengers' watch, and Thor must learn more than one truth uh, this day. The shocking conclusion of Revelations that no one will see coming is here. Hmm. Donny Cates writes some good stuff. I was going to say, it's Donny Cates. It's going to be fucking insane. You can't go wrong with him. Absolutely not. Uh, for my comic picks, uh, i got to talk a little parlay points, uh, blog action. So i got to give a shout-out to our guy Frank over at Geek Freaks Podcast. He recommended Pocus Hocus number one. So hmm. the fine folks at Bad Bug Media sent me their book over to do an early review on. Now, they this is a Kickstarter book. Oh. So if you want to kind of check this out, because when you have a magician that is named Pocus Hocus, mm. you know there's kind of be a little something going on with him, and he does a little Faustian deal, if you will, with a demon. He wants power. He sells his soul. Things go a little haywire, you know, haywire, mm-hmm. and the fallout from there is just going on with that book. So if you want to pick that up, and we've heard a lot of people check out the Parlay Points blog and got really excited about it, the Kickstarter link is in the blog itself. Mm. So definitely go check them out. Uh, I know that if schedules align, those fine folks would like to come on the ODPH to talk about the book in uh, the next few months. So we'll kind of see how the cards play out. Either way, go check them out because it's always cool to support some indie comics. And I got to talk about a comic known as Berserker. Pat, do you know anything about this book? No. This is written by Matt Kent, drawn by Ron Garney, but there's another writer that's attached to this. Mm. One Keanu Reeves. Oh, hello. Know that name. So this is under Boom Studios. Shout out to Boom. They are always very, very gracious about hooking us up with 
early advanced reads, so definitely want to give them their props because they are fantastic to work with. Yeah. And this is the latest saga in the Berserker story, hmm. which definitely has a lot of hype behind it because obviously with Keanu Reeves uh, as a co-writer on the book with Matt Kent, uh, it definitely is getting a lot of attention. Netflix uh, was reported to have picked up the production rights mm. and I've got some more content coming out. I believe a live action and an anime spinoff from hey. this as well. All right. So if you're not on board yet, definitely go check the book out. Uh, issue five just came out. So like I said, they're restarting. They're kind of doing this in it's going to be a 12 issue series. So they're doing four, four, and four. If I if I'm interpreting this correctly, if I'm sure. wrong, please correct me on at OD Parlay Hour. Uh, the book is definitely intense. It's insane. It has got so much going on, and it's basically about a half mortal, half god who is 100% violence walking, and is kind of working with the government mm. to basically be a one man suicide squad. And in turn, he's going to learn about why he can't die because he's obviously been living around for years. And, I mean, yeah. we're talking 10,000 years. I mean, whatever the case is. Sure. He has been around. He has seen some things. He's just now reached the point where it's like enough is enough. But this issue definitely takes a curveball approach to it, so I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. But I will say go check it out at the comic book shops. In fact, if you go to your local comic book shops now, they do have the trade paperback out. It'll be out a week earlier than your normal bookstores. Mm. So another reason to go to your comic book shops. I'm just saying, go support them. Support your local comic shops as always. Check out the Parlay Points blog. It's right on odphpodcast.com. And definitely support your independent podcasts that cover comics as well. So for my one shot, I'm going to kind of make it a little extended one. This weekend, we have a movie that is coming out. Okay. That's got a lot of hype behind it. And no, it is not The Many Saints of Newark's the prequel to The Sopranos. Oh, that's coming out this weekend, huh? Yeah, it is. That snuck up on us. Yeah, it definitely did. So uh, I might try checking it out, but the schedule is getting a little crazy as we are heading towards New York Comic Con. So we'll have to wait and see about that. But that movie is dropping this weekend as well. All right. But no, we are talking about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Ah, so we are now going to get the sequel that has been hopping around a lot, a lot of very polarizing opinions about this. We do know that Tom Hardy is back as Eddie Brock. Woody Harrelson is back as Cleus Cassidy. And we are going to get Carnage on the big screen. Andy Serkis is directing. Mm -hmm. So I am not really sure what to expect. We have seen the trailer. Uh, in my opinion, the trailer was okay. Sure. Wasn't great. I did like what I saw with Carnage, though. Right. I am a little disappointed it's not an R rating, but I get it. Yeah. And for what we see out of this, Pat, I know you're kind of like on the fence about your opinion about going to see this. Nah, I'm probably not going to see it in all honesty. But for me, I, which I, that's fair. Because you know what? The first Venom was a little underwhelming, in my opinion, too. Mm -hmm. It definitely just had this 90s action vibe to it. it sure, just, sure. It, it felt dated. So I'm hoping for something different here. With Tom Hardy taking a little more uh, comfort in the role sure. and to see how I'm playing against Carnage. I mean, obviously, Venom has never been hotter in comics, so I'm waiting to see how this is all going to translate on screen. Uh, and then we have heard that there is supposed to be a after credit scene that blows the Internet away. Hmm. I don't know what this is. I've been avoiding spoilers, but I have heard from very good sources it is a very, very good post credit scene. That's all I've heard. So... That being said, I'm going in with a little 
lower bar because the first sure. Venom did not wow me, but Woody Harrelson as Carnage, I'm in for. I think he's going to do a fantastic job. And whatever story they want to go with, I know they're going to kind of differ from the comics a little bit, mm-hmm. but I still think it's going to be worth checking out. So I know I'm going with our friends over at 8122 Productions. I know Dog is going. Lincoln is going from Excite Wrestling. So we're going to have some fun times checking this out on opening night. And maybe I'll throw up a quick tweet to do a quick review because obviously next week, if you're listening to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, it is all New York Comic Con. So get ready for that. That all being said, Pad. The music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout at the robots. They're fantastic people. If I want to find out everything going on with Shout, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You check out the music section while you're there. You can find out everything going on with Shout. Everything going on with Brian Wolf, our great friend from Austin, Texas, who I have on very good authority. New music soon. I can't deliberate anything more on air. But we are going to be placing a call down to Austin rather shortly to confirm this. But you can find out everything going on with Brian, because Brian's awesome. You can go check out everything going on with Tom Jolu. You want to talk about an awesome person and happy birthday to him? I know he listens to the ODPH. It was a couple days ago. You should go support him, because he's freaking fantastic as well. Second Suitor, Yard Party, Floodlands, all the great music you hear on the ODPH is right there, so go support everybody there, because they're great people. Check out the directory, where you can listen to the ODPH on your favorite podcast provider, because the links are right there. You can just hit follow, sub, and you will get new ODPH delivered right to you when it drops. You can also check out the classifieds, which have friends of the show, organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in via their Podchaser page. Because I say it once, I say it a thousand times. If you claim you're in a pod group and you're not on Podchaser with your group, you're not in a group. So that all being said, shout out to the Apocalypse, shout out to the Inner Circle, and of course, shout out to hashtag 607 Podcast and our good friends over at 8122 Productions as well. All of that, Parlay Points, the Public Store, and so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.